Good afternoon and welcome to the Freedom to Buy podcast. I'm Joe Dworsky, the president of retail banking for Supernet, uh, which is the only payment network that provides true credit card payments in the cannabis industry to date. Each week on our podcast, we're going to take you behind the scenes of banking, finance, technology, and payments to help educate our listeners to how to make the most of their purchasing power in the world of credit. My next guests represent a group ex-investment bankers uh, in the uh, M&A world as well and venture capitalists to provide fractional, or maybe it's outsourced, correct me if I'm wrong, CFO, FP&A, and capital raising support to startup companies. And today on the show, we have Connor Frischmeier and Jake Lurkins. Thank you, gentlemen. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, we're excited, Joe. Thanks for having us. I was going over the website over the last couple of days and looking at your backgrounds, and I found it the name so interesting. Uh, it's pronounced OXO. Can you talk about the origin of the name and a little bit about the mission of the company, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. So OXO is the Greek of essentially fertility and growth. And the goal of us at OXO Partners is basically to take the finance skills that we have developed in investment banking, in private equity, venture capital, and various other places, CFOs of various startups, and to apply that expertise to earlier stage companies that typically don't have access to it, and to help them grow more quickly and with better control so that they have better um, decision-making frameworks early on. Because what we found is there are a lot of potholes, I'll say, that you can fall into as an early stage company that have fairly material impacts down the line, or sometimes that can kill the company in the earlier stages, even if you have a great product and even if you are doing a, a great job of servicing your customers. So trying to alleviate that that issue at the early stage. That's great. Great. Is this a, is this a newer industry? Because obviously I'm old, older than both you gentlemen I have a, a similar background you know, in finance. And I've heard of outsourcing, you know, individual, you know, roles, but I've never seen something along the lines of uh, your service. Is this a new emerging type of industry? I think in many ways it is. And I think it's true of a lot of functions within a startup or within companies more broadly. So the CFO thing, uh, it's kind of our bread and butter. And it's sort of one of the, I think, the earlier things that people took an outsource or a fractional approach to. Mm-hmm. That is now increasingly true of all sorts of functions, including, you know, marketing. Uh, we do a fair amount of accounting ourselves. There are a bunch of people doing, you know, outsourced fractional sales leadership and, and things like that. But I think what it allows us to do is, again, to take that expertise that perhaps in the past was was pretty expensive or was pretty risky to hire for early on and Perhaps when you're an earlier stage company, you don't need a full-time CFO or a full-time chief marketing officer or whatever it is. You really only need 10, 15 hours of that expertise weekly. And because we're able to allocate our time across you know, multiple groups, um, not only can we make it you know, more, more affordable, but we can also take our expertise and learnings from, say, other groups in the cannabis industry and apply them to uh, you know, our future clients. Okay, that's interesting. And you've assembled a pretty extensive team of ex-investment bankers and venture capitalists, private equity professionals. Can you talk a little bit about your team that you've put together? Pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Jake and I's network that we developed 
when we were in investment banking and when we were in private equity is the place that we started. But increasingly, we're branching out from that. And what we find is a lot of these people, they have, you know, they have a really strong expertise. But startups are interesting. Cannabis is interesting. Working on earlier stage problems is interesting because oftentimes towards the later stage, you'll have, you know, you'll have a lot of heads in the room and you'll have a lot of experts. Uh, but at earlier stage companies, that's not always true. And the same sorts of problems are are poking up. And so being able to leverage the expertise that we've developed in other areas to help in you know, in earlier stage companies who really, really do need the advice and who perhaps don't have access to it already has been has been pretty cool. And I think is a lot of the reason that's driving people to join our team. Okay, that's great. That's great. And when, when did you guys uh, actually form the company? It's been about two years. So we have been working for we've been working on, you know, freelance CFO support and, and capital raising since about February of 2021. And then we formally rebranded and, and started positioning ourselves as OXO uh, about the middle of last year. Great. And it looks like you have a nice lineup of, of clients uh, that you've uh, already been working with. Can you talk about, are, there, are you industry agnostic or do you have a specialty in terms of fintech or you know uh, technology outside of the financial services space? Is there one area that you want to focus on best or is it really agnostic across all industries? The answer is kind of both. So there's a bunch of people on our team and certain people have different expertise areas. We as a firm are relatively industry agnostic, although we are most excited about earlier stage, high growth businesses, oftentimes within software, fairly broadly, within consumer. And then an area that we've really spent arguably the most amount of time in and that we think there is the most opportunity to add value is actually cannabis. Emerging market, really, really fast growth, fairly dynamic companies. And I think underserviced in a lot of areas of finance. Certainly you can talk about that on like the banking side or on the credit mm-hmm. side. But I think even sometimes in, you know, strategy and direction as well. So definitely a place that we're, you know, we're trying to spend a lot of our time focusing. Okay. That's great to know. In terms of when you, you know, engage with a client, obviously these are early, you know, stage companies, high growth opportunity. Is it pre-seed, seed, series A? Is there a particular timeline that you'd like to get involved with the company? Yeah. So we find that oftentimes it is post-seed and probably pre-like series C-ish timeframe. Although we've worked with companies all the way from what are really pretty large, you know, multi hundred million dollars in revenue businesses, um, all the way down to companies who are looking to go out and raise a seed round. And they just want someone to help them, you know, think about the story and how they should position it and what the finances might look like in the future. But the thing I'll say is, particularly on the strategic finance side, what we really look at is how much revenue the business is generating when we, you know, are talking to them. Because you really want to be at a level where your finance function is becoming complicated enough that we're able to add value in terms of helping you think about, you know, your margins, helping you think about your expenses, uh, planning for hires that are coming up. What new areas do you want to target in terms of products or, or geographic expansion? And if it's too early stage, 
uh, perhaps you haven't really gotten to the point where you're generating revenue yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, with that, what do you, where do you see the obstacles for some of these startups when they're going out to raise capital? I, I saw that you mentioned on your blog that, you know, it could be challenging. It could be the wrong time. Can you talk a little bit about that, raising capital? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I do want to give Jake a, a chance to jump in. Too, oh, yeah, so Jake. To see what he thinks. But <laughs> Joe, I think one of the biggest things right now is is the market is a little bit of a mess. And particularly early stage businesses are so accustomed to thinking from the lens of venture capital. And venture capital, in my opinion, in particular, is is pretty challenging right now. Mm-hmm. And so something that we're constantly harping on is just broadening your lens and the way that you think about where you can find capital and what the terms of that capital might look like and thinking, you know, not only about equity. So that's venture capital. You know, sometimes we'll talk to hedge funds and smaller private equity groups or family offices, angel investors, people like that. Uh, but also thinking about debt. And frankly, there are a fair amount of cannabis businesses that that makes sense for. Mm-hmm. And you can look into Sometimes there are these royalty groups that will take like a cut of your revenue going forward. Mm-hmm. There are obviously venture capital groups who invest in cannabis as an adjacent piece of that. Some of them will do what's called venture lending, where you can fill out venture rounds with debt, you know, and that kind of helps prevent all the dilution and, and some of the control issues that people can run into with um, with giving away large chunks of equity. And then there's, you know, old traditional commercial banks and, um, and like SBA type loan programs uh, that can be a really good fit. I, I suppose SBA in the in the context of cannabis might not work, but you know you can find other options within the debt world. Okay, that's great. And Jake, you know, let, let's let's pull you into the uh, conversation. So, what is your main role at the company, uh, and a little bit about you know your background, if you would. Sure. I would say the role of both Connor and I are fairly similar at this point, although I, I think we're starting to find kind of areas where we both kind of thrive a bit more from a personality fit perspective or just skill set perspective. But broadly right now, I would say our primary roles are just bringing in new business to the firm, making sure our team is sort of empowered with the tools and resources they need, overseeing kind of ongoing engagements and, and kind of client work that's happening and make, making sure that it's being done kind of properly, correctly, strategically. And then kind of just getting our hands dirty and getting involved with projects as well when it makes sense. And so we're still early stage, we're growing fast. And so the business is dynamic and, and both Connor and I need to be pretty multifaceted and, and, and be you know willing and able to kind of jump in across the board and basically every facet of the business. But that's how we think about kind of our, our main objectives right now is mostly sort of sales and marketing focus and then just operational kind of oversight. Okay, that's great. And you know, with that, Obviously, we all know that what's going on in the marketplace, you know, over the last, you know, 12 months plus uh, in this rising rate environment and an economic slowdown and, you know, venture capital is becoming tougher to come by and, you know, people are sitting on the sidelines waiting to, you know, things to settle down. How has that impacted right. your business? So we basically have kind of like two different sides to our business, if you will. One side of the business is focused on capital markets and, and helping businesses raise capital and and get in touch with the proper sort of like equity investors or, or debt groups, or again, Connor kind of referenced some of the different financing providers that are out there, but supporting with sort of capital raising itself is one part of our business. 
But there's an entire sort of other part of our business that, that that's more involved kind of operationally with businesses kind of on their organic sort of internal finance picture. And I would say in the current market environment where capital raising is much more challenging, where the markets both on the equity and debt side are much tighter, it's really, really important for companies to focus on their internal organic cash flow generation. And so there's tools that can be used for that. There's, you know, financial models and, you know, things that are put together with kind of full three statement functionality where you can really, really forecast on a granular level your cash flow um, and, and just a lot of the kind of internal dynamics of your business. You can pressure test different initiatives that you're contemplating to, to sort of see what those mean in terms of organic cash flow generation and kind of long-term, you know, cash kind of picture. And, and so we see that side of our business coming into focus a lot more right now with the capital markets being so tight. And, and then kind of in the future, right, when, when those capital markets open back up, perhaps we'll see sort of a shift back towards that side of the business. But we've sort of set things up in such a way where it's, you know, effectively sort of recession resistant in a way where when the markets are tight, you know, the, the kind of internal finance support side of our business flourishes. And then when markets are kind of more open and, and people are raising more actively, we can kind of lean more into that service line. Okay, great. Yeah. Talking, so, talking, so, go ahead. Something yeah, go I want to, I want to add on on that actually is I think frankly, from my perspective, and I'm pretty sure that Jake agrees with me, although I'll be interested to hear from him too. What gets me most excited, frankly, is managing cash flow. And we love bootstrapped companies. We love companies who are obsessed with efficiently managing their finances because frankly, and I I won't make any friends with um, financing providers on this maybe, but sometimes (laughs) I see capital as a necessary evil, right? Like there is a place that you want to get to with your business and you are not able to generate that cash on your own. And therefore you have to go out and you have to get investment to do it. And that's Mm -hmm. important. And it's a core tenant of our business. And it's also, it, it's sexy, you know, it's a, it's something that people love to go out and talk about. But when it comes to building a really strong company, in my opinion, it's all about focusing on your cash flow and managing that. And how can we funnel that into additional growth? And the anecdote is escaping me, but essentially, I think oftentimes the strongest companies actually come from recessions or come from down periods where they can't raise cash. And the reason for that is they just have to focus on building a really great business. And then mm-hmm. in the future, once they've set up a really great business that does a really good job of generating cash flow, they'll have their pick of investors that okay, want to that... come in and, and do business with them. Okay, I, that's I, great. I, okay. I, I, I also just chime in and, and say that that I think just like the way sort of media is set up in, in such a way where, you know, what gets reported on and, and what gets celebrated in the media is often companies raising capital. And that's great. And that's exciting. And that's really, really awesome for those companies. But what does not get celebrated because it's not publicized are the really, really beautiful companies that are able to generate their own cash organically and invest organic cash flow into their future growth initiatives. That is like, that's the holy grail. That's the type of business we should all be sort of aspiring for and and Mm -hmm. hoping to work towards. And it's, it's sort of unfortunate that those companies don't get celebrated in the same way that companies raising capital do. And I understand why it's that way, but just as finance guys kind of working with companies, we really understand the the, the power and sort of the value of being right. able to kind of operate independently, organically, and kind of grow in that fashion. Gotcha. Well, that's great. Just looking at expanding on that and looking at the blog, I mean, I, I see that uh, you have, you know, cash flow is king and you also talk about your 13-week uh, cash flow forecast. Can you discuss that a little bit further? 
Yeah. So, I mean, in sort of a circumstance where, you know, a company's in a position where maybe it's fairly early stage and they don't have a ton of cash in the bank yet. And again, the capital markets are tight. And, and so being able to go out and find external capital is pretty challenging. It becomes really, really important to keep a really strong pulse on current cash flow and near-term cash flow over the next, you know, kind of few months of the business life cycle, right? And so looking at a really granular level, and, and we do it on a kind of weekly basis over 13 weeks, and, and looking on a, you know, customer by customer, every single, you know, every single item across sort of accounts receivable, when are we going to receive different payments, right? Like, how does that impact our, our bank account and our, and our cash flow? Looking at the payables, who, what are all the payables we have? Who are the vendors? Are there ones we can stretch out further? Are, are there ones that need to be paid sooner that has cash implications? And, and just kind of looking down the business at every single facet of the business, every single thing that impacts cash flow, if you're investing more into inventory or just kind of whatever else is, is sort of the specific cash flow kind of mechanics of that business, looking at every single granular item down the entire PL, down the entire balance sheet, and understanding the movement of that uh, on a really granular level over 13 weeks is a really good way to just sort of keep a really good pulse on cash flow and, and being able to manage the business accordingly over that short period of time when, again, getting access to that extra capital is, is much more challenging now than it, than it has been for, you know, kind of like the the the, the period right before us uh, now. Yeah. The other day. How'd you come right. up with and 13? How'd you come up with 13 week? 13, it's obviously some people might say 13. How'd you come up with the 13 week cash flow? Is there something significant about 13 weeks? We, with weirdly a, specific, right? Um, a, a, what it is, Joe, is a, a short-term cash flow statement. And that can be 13 weeks, that can be seven weeks, that could be like 30 weeks. 13, I think, is a, a amount of time that's often used just because it's kind of generally, it's close enough that you have a pretty good idea as to what's going to come and go within that period. But it's far enough out that you're able to really plan for, you know, some of those bigger fluctuations that might happen. Whereas if it's mm -hmm. only a couple of weeks, then you're not measuring all that much. Mm -hmm. Something I want to talk about on the, the cash flow front, and particularly as it relates to cannabis, is just how difficult it is to manage cash flow in the cannabis industry, because it's so horribly underbanked. And, and so there are companies like Supernet that are you know, I think doing a great job of providing more of these financial services for cannabis companies, but it's an industry where you can have these huge swings in cash flow and, and it's really hard to measure everything because you just don't have all the systems in place. And again, it's not their fault, but it does make it a challenge and it does make it something that I think you want to pay particular attention to. No, you, you hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that being said, being the challenging environment that we're operating under, uh, talking about, you know, obviously cash flow and the cash flow uh, strategy that you uh, outlined. Can we talk a little? I want to. I want to segue. I want to shift. Let, let's talk about debt because, you know, it, it's very difficult in today's world to to raise equity. It's challenging depending on what market you're in. So, can we talk about the the debt world and the options uh, for startups that exist? Yeah, absolutely. So cannabis, again, there is always some nuance around this. As we discussed, they're underbanked. There are several types of groups who will lend to cannabis companies. Um, but within the broader startup context, I think the, the areas in which Jake and I typically go and look are, again, within the venture ecosystem, these venture lending providers. So these are groups who will come in behind VCs 
and we'll say, okay, we really trust uh, XVC fund. We know that they're well-funded. We know that they invest in great companies. And therefore, we will lend up to X amount to this company on top of the venture round that they're part of. And it's just a way for all of the equity holders. Now, that means the founders. It also means the VCs to reduce the dilution in the company, you know, hold on to more of it. And typically, it's not a large chunk of debt. So it's it's pretty manageable. Commercial banks are a great option. Of course, that's not true for cannabis companies. And then I think what's particularly exciting in this context is the specialty lending groups. So there are all these groups that manage money. I think about like family offices, which are essentially like groups who manage wealth for you know wealthy families and individuals in the United States or around the world. But there are groups who do this on the institutional side too, who are just a lot more flexible and who will look at cannabis companies. And it's, it's hard for me to even give you a sense for the exact terms of the debt because they can be so varied. Yeah, that was uh, good. That was my next question because with some of these startups, you know, um, and you're talking about cash flow, some of these startups don't have cash flow. So what's the de- what's the deciding factor? I would imagine if it's a startup and they don't have cash flow, then debt doesn't seem to won't, won't fit the picture. Am I missing something? No, that's right. I mean, you do yeah. have to have some cash flow. Collateral yeah. helps, of course. So some right. of these heavy, um, you know, machinery focused type businesses are good, right. but. Um, right, industrial you do want to have facilities. Some I gotcha. Or, I gotcha. or at the yeah. very least, like let's take an example of these royalty financing groups. You should at least have revenue, but they can mm-hmm. get comfortable if they see that okay, uh, this startup's revenue has been fairly consistent or is growing over the past year or the past year and a half or whatever it is. So we'll lend you X amount, and in return, we want to receive ten to fifteen percent of that revenue off the top which can be a cool, I mean, it's going to cut into your margins, but it can be a cool way to get access to non-dilutive capital earlier in your tenure as a company versus more traditional loans. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's, uh, that is very interesting. Let me ask you, uh, let's just take a little shift. I mean, looking at your website, you guys have some interesting backgrounds, but uh, I see, Connor, that you, uh, you're you in a band. So tell me a little bit about uh, this band that you have. Uh, it seems interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Single Dads. So the Single Dads is a, a really terrible punk rock band from San Francisco <laughs> who plays in a garage. I lived in a house, actually. It's So there's this concept of a hacker house in San Francisco, and that is mm-hmm. a, not entirely what this was, uh, but something akin to a hacker house. So there was 12 of us. I had a bunch of really smart roommates from all these Ivy League institutions, and you know we all got together and talked about startups. And the other thing that we did was play rock music in the basement. So we did a bunch of Green Day covers. Uh, we did a bunch of Good Charlotte covers. We did nice. Queen. And we lived across the street from the house where the Grateful Dead wrote most of their music. So we used to pop the garage door open and then we'd play some Grateful Dead songs and just kind of, you know, That's reminisce awesome. on it. What well, was really before <laughs> our time, but uh, yeah, trying right. to embrace that vibe for a little bit. And, and Jake, you're, I guess you're not in the band in, in Texas. What's your... Uh... What do you do for enjoyment outside of uh, the, the work world? Yeah, I'm uh, a big health and wellness guy. So I am like a, a seven days a week in the gym kind of guy. I'm, I'm always out running. Um, me, me and Connor actually have a um, sort of really adventurous relay race thing coming up here in, in about a month with a bunch of our friends out in Washington. That's called uh, Ski to Sea, I believe. And, and it's sort of this long adventure race with skiing and running and canoeing and kayaking and things like that. So 
love being outside, love being active. Um, I, I'm currently kind of learning to play guitar. So I'm, you know, aspiring to someday join Connor in, in the single dad's uh, garage band, but I'm, I'm not quite there yet. Okay. That's great. And how did you, I mean, you're in Texas uh, and Connor, you're, you're in Colorado. No, that's where you like, that's when, where are you based out of Colorado? Uh, New York. Oh, you're in New York. Okay, my old stomping yeah. grounds. Yeah. So you guys worked together on Wall Street, and then you went back to Texas, uh, Jake? Um, I, I actually moved down to Texas um, a couple years ago to join uh, a different kind of startup that I that I helped kind of run corporate development for, for for a period of time, but before I left and kind of linked up with Connor. So okay. a job took me down here, but but I've just stayed here for now. You know, it's it's kind of a good place to live. Perhaps might make a move to the mountains soon, just to think it fits my lifestyle better. But nice. te- Texas has been home ground for a while. Okay, great. And now I'm going to jump back into the business side. Now I, I found you know the background is interesting, but you know, and then we'll um, you know wrap it up. Talking about you know your services and what you guys offer, I think it's fascinating because it's under uh, it's under one umbrella. All these services, and it's new to me, and I'm I'm really glad that we have uh, the opportunity to talk to you today. How does you know an engagement work with uh, the company? I mean, uh, I know from my days in raising capital, you know, you, you raise capital, you get a percentage, you know, but you you offer so many different services. You know, when a company engages, how do you, you know, how does your fee structure work? Yeah, it's a good question. I think if you take a step back, uh, again, like going back to the whole and and frankly, like in a in a less nice way, like not implode on their own on the way out. So and with that goal, what's really cool about it is that if you get in on the ground floor of a startup and they do well, you continue to grow with them, which is something that we've done in cannabis and in other industries. And so ultimately, we're pretty flexible on the way that we structure our engagements based on the particular needs of that company, right? Okay. So if if they need to go out and raise capital, well, it might look a little bit more like a percentage thing, or maybe they just want us to do some background stuff. They want to put together an investment deck. They want to put together a financial model. Um, so perhaps we'll bill hourly or like uh, on a project basis for that. But then there are other situations where... The capital has been raised. They're going out, they're deploying it, they're building the business, and they want someone to stick around for a longer period of time to help them develop frameworks uh, for thinking about how to grow. Mm-hmm. And in those cases, uh, then we might do more like a, a retainer, or like an ongoing thing. But again, no. the goal is to find a way uh, to align with the company to help them reach their goals and and to kind of be along for the ride alongside oh. them. Okay, that's great. Well, this has been very, very uh, uh, eye-opening for me and very informative. Uh, I'm glad that we uh, had you on today because I know when uh, Brosco sent everything over to me, I'm like, I don't don't know who these guys are. And really, I've learned a lot. How can our listeners get in contact uh, with you guys? Uh, What's the best way to reach you guys? Yeah, check us out on our website. Send us a link. Check us out on LinkedIn. Um, you can send us emails. We are Connor and Jake at oxopartners.co. And yeah, we'd, we'd be very excited to talk with anybody. Okay, terrific. Well, Connor, Jake, I thank you uh, for joining us this afternoon. This has uh, been great having you on. Uh, thanks for listening to Freedom to Buy, uh, presented by Supernet. To learn more about Supernet, you know, you can reach out and uh, check our website out at supernet.ai. Uh, and you can find uh, the Freedom to Buy podcast on Cannabis Radio. And you can also find it on uh, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, and we look forward to uh, speaking to you next week. Uh, and thank you for your time today. 
Have a good afternoon. Joe, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure.